This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, March 17, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. For decades, New York City, among others, had a ban on pinball under the guise that the games were tools of the mob, promoted gambling, and stole children's lunch money. Laughable as those claims might be today, it took one plucky young man who himself was something of a pinball player himself to help New York and other cities see the error of their ways and throw out their bans. The story of Roger Sharp is told in the new film, Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game, which is in theaters and available streaming today. I spoke with the directors of the film, Austin and Meredith Bragg, last week. We're going to get into sort of the nitty-gritty of the film. I've known you guys for too long. Too long. I think that's fair. But this is a policy podcast. We talk about policy here on the Cater Daily Podcast. And tell me about this decades-long ban that I think most people knew absolutely nothing about on pinball in major American cities. Yeah. So the subject of the film is uh, about the pinball ban in New York City, uh, but it was banned in cities across the country. In fact, there are still bans on pinball in uh, many cities today. Um Pinball was seen as uh, gambling, a, a game of luck, not a game of skill. Um, it was considered to have mob ties. It was a cash-only business, and uh, the politicians were saving the children from losing their lunch money to these infernal machines. A lot of times these laws sort of stay on the books for a long time, and people forget about them. Uh, there was currently... There is currently a ban on pinball for minors in Columbia, South Carolina, that is being challenged at the moment. There's a where a you bill. screened your film recently. We did. We went and we uh, met with some of the politicians down there and a lot of the pinball fans down there. Uh, there's hope that they can get that repealed. Yeah, Todd so, Rutherford um, is the minority leader in the House there, and he sponsored a bill after I believe his niece told him that this was uh, a law that was still on the books. He couldn't believe it, looked it up, it was, and now he's trying to uh, get the ban repealed so that minors can legally play pinball again in South Carolina. Not only, but it was also banned in Chicago, and that's important for non-pinball people. Chicago is where pinball essentially was created, modern-day pinball was created, Um as we say in the movie, it's it's like banning cars in Detroit. It's that it it's all of the manufacturers were pretty much based out of Chicago. Um, and the real Roger Sharp, who this story is based around, he grew up in Chicago and he never saw a pinball machine in his life, and he never knew why. And it was only when he was writing a book and really learning more about pinball that he came to realize the extent of the pinball bands around the country. So my wife, before we started watching the movie, she said, well, I assume this movie will feature Wisconsin. Mm. Well, and wasn't. I said, well, why on earth would it feature Wisconsin? <laughs> she said, well, they have one of the largest pinball machine collections in the world in Wisconsin. And presumably that has something to do with its proximity to Chicago. It wouldn't surprise me. There are um, pinball museums all over now. I know there's a big one in Vegas. Um, the rise of the barcade is a sort of recent phenomenon. And that's where these things kind of come into play. It seems almost trite to, you know, have this fight over antiquated pinball laws because generally they're not enforced. Let's be clear. But every now and then when someone wants to open a barcade uh, and somebody else 
thinks that that's a bad idea, they can dig out these old laws and weaponize them. And that's why it's important that we sort of clean up the books on some of these things. It, 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 something I really enjoyed about the movie is, you know, the fact that this is a fight that today we look at and say, what, really? And there are a lot of these fights that are so easily forgotten because the, the products that we sort of take for granted today uh, may have been very controversial at some time in the past. And we realize that these moral panics are not new. They've existed since time immemorial. And uh, I, I think you guys illustrate that uh, really well. Uh, translating these uh, materials, the books, the story uh, to film, what was... What was difficult or challenging about that? Yeah. <laughs> Meredith likes to say that, you know, when you're creating a documentary, you're starting with, it's sort of like sculpture, sculpture, right? You're, you've got a large block of material and you sort of cut away everything uh, until you've got your story. In a lot of ways, this was like that because we sat down with Roger. This was a COVID project. We spent a lot of time on Zoom with Roger Sharp. Uh, talking about his life and his times uh, at GQ and with his wife, Ellen. Um, so we got a lot of information. And uh, from there, it was just a challenge to to find those things that we wanted to highlight and create that arc and sort of, you know, whittle it down to a good story. And uh, I will go ahead and commend to listeners, please see the movie. This podcast is timed to be released just before the official release date in uh, some theaters and uh, on Apple TV uh, as, I guess, a rental, or is it just a part of Apple TV uh, from day one? It'll be a rental on Apple TV and Amazon, and I think there are other options as well. All of the information uh, you should be able to find at pinballfilm.com. There are a bunch of, there are a couple of interweaving uh, stories here. It's a, it's, there's a love story. There's a couple of love stories, really. Um, uh, at least three that I can think of right now. And, um, but all of these are, are woven together really well. And yet you have this Mr. Sharp character who I was rudely told uh, before this interview was in fact not Roger Sharp, but an actor, because I saw him, saw Mr. Sharp on screen, and I thought, how lucky are these guys that this Roger Sharp is such a such a careful person who takes direction well and is able to act on screen. But no, I was tricked multiple times, even while you're reminding me, hey, you're watching you're watching a movie, Caleb Brown. You're watching a movie, and we're taking certain liberties here and making this movie, and that's why we have the real guy, Roger Sharp interrupting occasionally to say you're doing this all wrong fellas uh yeah. it was but it was charming at the same time and I, I i can't say enough good things about uh just the construction of the thing and uh how much i enjoyed it what what was the you know one of the the pinnacle moment here is roger sharp playing a game of pinball in front of the new york city council and that seems uh, from, uh, what I understand to be fairly accurate, the, the way that went down. Uh, oh, definitely. Um, I would say about 90 to 95% of the plot points in this film are accurate down to the things that aren't written about or haven't been, uh, poured over by pinball fans. Um, but the shot is very accurate. Um, he call he's famous within the pinball community for, 
calling his shot in front of the city council, helping to prove that it was a game of skill and not chance and helping overturn the law there. Um, So we always knew that was going to be the end of the film. Um, But Roger also told us all about his life, about meeting this single mother, about his time at GQ, writing this book, his friendship with a photographer named James Hamilton. And so much of the story is absolutely 100% true. Um, you know, For those people who haven't seen it yet, I won't go too deep into it, but how he met Ellen, some of the conversation back and forth. These are lines we took from interviews with Roger, with Ellen, with Seth, with James. Um, he actually went to Chicago and interviewed a bunch of the old pinball uh, folks, people who built these these companies. And we had the audio from that. He lent us the audio and some of the lines from a montage sequence when he's reporting in Chicago come directly from it. But the shot is just pretty much as you see it. Um, he was, the, the chairman pushed back on him pretty hard, pretty aggressively. It ruffled Roger's feathers and he started pushing back again, um, not to give too much away, but there are a couple moments in there that um, there's some switches that happen and some uh, um, uh, zags that he didn't see coming. Um, but I mean, even when we wanted to turn this into a sort of a sports movie and um, with a triumphant end, like we correct the record there too. Like there's so much about this that is factually accurate. It's easier sometimes to talk about what isn't. Um, than what is Meredith on that note it's uh, one of those movies where uh, you you guys get to be indulgent but it's in a productive way in the sense because you get to do the scene the way it would have been done in a movie and then you do the scene the way it probably went down and that's wonderful absolutely well, you know, there's a sort of native push and pull with Roger. Uh, it's it's always going to be strange, I think, when someone says, hey, we want to make a, a movie about your life and it's going to be a comedy. I think there's, uh, you know, some natural hesitation there. Uh, and so there was always a little bit of back and forth with Roger about, you know, how accurate we're going to be and how much of this, you know, gets, uh, you know, the, the full film treatment. And so bringing that interplay and and that balance actually into the film um i think worked to our advantage in a lot of ways agreed so the important question now is there a pinball the man who saved the game movie the game pinball you know we've we have talked about pinball the movie the game um i'll have to uh leave that with uh MPI original films to see if they want to <laughs> decide if they want to put the money behind creating that. Um, there are certainly a lot of uh, DIY pinball enthusiasts who will design and create their own games. So it would not surprise me if somewhere down the line uh, I get a photo of Mike Feist and his glorious mustache on a pinball play field. So um, follow up question. How many pinball machines do either of you now own? I don't own any. Um, we talked yeah. about whether we would purchase one or not as part of this uh, film. We also learned that they are extremely finicky. 
uh, we had a pinball tech, Eddie Kramer, uh, on set because all of these pinball machines didn't necessarily have to work, but they had to look like they were working. Um, and many of them had to be played. It was uh, a constant struggle to keep them operational, especially these older electromechanical machines. Um, you know, you're talking about some games from the 60s and a lot of pieces are made of rubber or uh, incandescent bulbs and there are a lot of small incandescent bulbs things go wrong a lot with those machines now does that mean i wouldn't take one no i'm thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> what else what else do we need to push uh i would just say that um you know roger was incredibly insistent that we get the pinball right mm. and you know we were trying to create a movie that uh, would appeal to non-pinball people. We are not pinball people, or at least we were not when we started this project. But we wanted something that the pinball community could embrace as well. And Roger still works in the pinball industry as a consultant. So he was adamant that we get the pinball right. So all of the machines that you see, um, he sourced with the help from the pinball community, which has been, they've been fantastic, uh, very giving. But we had all of these original machines that meant something to him personally. So the machines that you see when he's in college, those are the machines he would play in college. The machines that you see in the um, uh, in New York in the adult bookstore that he finds before it gets raided, that's those are the machines that he played uh, in New York. And these things were were um, were real machines. And I'll tell you, one of the fun things that happened is by the end of the production, we had about. 30 some machines lined up in a warehouse and when we were um when we would break for lunch or in between setups you would occasionally start hearing the pinball machine start playing because all the cast and crew really got into it and we had all these machines on free play so people could really get into it it was really fun and, and roger would show everyone how to actually play but a couple couple cast members got really good at it i cannot imagine a better movie for you two guys in particular, because having known you for so long, uh, you guys specialize in governments making comically bad decisions, uh, <laughs> displaying how comically bad those decisions are, and while simultaneously appealing to a particular subculture of nerds. And uh, I really, I feel like that's right now, at least that's your bread and butter, but I can't wait to see your, I feel seen, your fourth or fifth I movie. I feel seen. <laughs> He's outing himself as a particular subculture of nerd. So I think that's okay. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Austin and Meredith Bragg are directors of the new film, Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. The film is out today in theaters and streaming services. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. Podcast. 